Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Man, it's been a busy few days in the smart home space. Here to talk with me about that is Nate Williams, Greenwave. We talk about Greenwave too. Nate's a good guy. Stay tuned. You know, I thought I was wrapping up my week last week. Thinking, uh, heading into a, kind of a nice, relaxed June weekend. And Google decides to announce that they actually did go and buy Dropcam. You know, that wasn't very nice of them to do it on a Friday night. Who does that? Unless you have bad news. And this was kind of good news. So they announced that. And then Monday, I wake up first thing, open my Mac, kind of groggy, to check my emails and see that, lo and behold, Quirky, uh, the the incubation, the connected product incubation company that does all sorts of cool things like smart uh, air conditioners with GE is spinning out their own smart home platform company called Wink. And so, man, those two things happened within a span of like four days. And I decided to catch up with Nate Williams. I've been meaning to catch up with Nate. We actually were going to talk today anyway about GreenWave, which is a really interesting company, uh, company behind the scenes often. In, in terms of smart home and internet of things that you may not know about, but is powering a lot of the kind of the cool products are coming out and will come out. So Nate's a really smart guy. I've known him. He's been in the connected home space for a while. I said, Hey Nate, let's talk about Greenway, but also let's talk about all the stuff going on. Cause you're a smart guy. So we do that. So if you want to hear about Greenway, great. If you want to hear about some of this news and hear us, uh, us talk about it, two guys who kind of understand the space, talk about it. This shows for you as well. If you want to check out Greenway systems, just go to greenwavesystems.com. If you want to listen to more Smart Dome shows, just go to technology.fm and look for The Smart Dome Show or look for us in iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. My name is Michael Wolf, and here's my conversation with Nate Williams. Hey, well, Nate Williams, how you doing, man? I'm glad to have you on the show. I'm doing great, Michael. I'm so glad to be on your show and uh, obviously listen to a lot of the podcasts. It's exciting to talk today. Well, you know, the reason I'm excited to have you is because you have been in this space for a while, um, you know with four home and and with just in the space know a lot of things and you're with Greenwave now which I think we're going to talk about but I also want to talk about some of the news cuz man it's been fast and furious this week hasn't it <laughs> It's definitely been a really exciting time I think sometimes connected home over the past 15 years has gone through sort of a boom bust cycle and so we're seeing the boom again and it was going to be interesting to talk about is how do we make sure as technologists that we put in the infrastructure so we can really make this happen this time, as opposed to some of the false starts we've seen in the past. Well, let's talk a little bit about, before we get to news like Quirky, Wink, and then the Google Dropcamp, both which dropped this last four days. Yeah. Um, let's hear a little bit about you and kind of let everyone know about your background. Um, how'd you get into the connected home world? <laughs> yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of an interesting story. So I've spent 15 years really at the intersection of consumers and technology. Uh, I started the first part of my career in Los Angeles as part of Walt Disney. 
So really focused on filmed entertainment. And then after graduate school, I was part of the digital home group at Intel. So in 2005, I was really looking at what are consumers doing in the home? And they were doing media, they were doing gaming, and there was this nascent category around connected home, home automation. So I spent some time with the team internally. That ultimately led to a thesis, which we invested in a company called iControl, who's done quite well. They support uh, Comcast and Time Warner and others. And I subsequently then moved on where I was the chief operating officer of 4Home. 4Home had supported the Verizon Connected Home Service um, and, and several others. We were ultimately purchased by Motorola. So I've sort of seen it through the process of these initial startups that have come in into a world of IP. Now we're seeing at GreenWave a much more sophisticated market with a lot of the big names, right? The Apples of the world, the Googles and the others who are definitely taking a position. So very exciting. And the company you, you're at now, GreenWave, is a company that I think, you know, isn't as like high profile as a lot of these, you know, consumer facing smart home companies, right? But I think with a lot of what a lot of people don't realize is behind, you know, every big consumer facing smart home product you buy at a at a store there's often a couple companies behind the, the, those companies do creating kind of the software and the platforms, and that's kind of what GreenWave comes in, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. We, we, feel, we feel that there's a very wide market happening right now, and we're very happy to be in the story when the story of Smart Home is written, and they talk about a company that stood behind these major brands and helped it to be real. That's what we want to do. So just high level on GreenWave, we're a venture-backed company that's been around since 2009, we have approximately 200 employees, and we work across three main segments as a white-label provider. So we have a service provider um, part of our business where we work with leading telecom and other wireless carriers on the service provider side. We work with utilities, which is really the initial focus of the company in 2008-2009 um, regarding demand response. And then we work with brands at retail. We provide a software platform that actually allows those devices to be part of applications and then manage those devices and applications full for the full life cycle. And so one of the things that we've seen interesting, Michael, you and I have talked about this offline, is the benefits to a brand and the risks become so much higher when you start offering a connected device. So let's think of the case of a Nike. They went from offering shoes and T-shirts and golf clubs into offering something like the Fuel Band. In that case, they not only got the ability to have this relationship with a consumer every day, but they had to start thinking about things like Android fragmentation, running a cloud service, how you monetize. And so what we're seeing is this market is definitely moving fast. We hope to be one of those big names that allow these major brands to run these connected services. And we think we're doing quite well with the approach. And, you know, I, I think you've talked about this uh, before and I've heard it elsewhere a little bit. And, you know, in the age of Internet of Things, everyone becomes a service provider. So you the, you gave the example of Nike, right? And, you know, Nike traditionally sells stuff point of sale. And of course, they have some support after after the fact through returns. But in if they're putting out something like FuelBand, they really are a service provider in a sense, right? That's, that's exactly right. And so maybe back up for a second. Us in the industry throw around the terms Internet of Things all the time. And so I think for folks that are listening to the podcast, the most basic way to think about Internet of Things is physical devices becoming connected to the Internet. So if you look at some of the trends that we're seeing, Cisco said only 0.6% of the physical devices out there in the world today are actually connected to the Internet. 
So the rest of the 99.4% aren't connected. So the phenomenon of the Internet of Things are these devices being connected, whether it's your car, a fan at the home, a door lock, a door in an enterprise. So that's what we're, that's what we're seeing right now. And then for a consumer, it's really around, well, does that connectivity add some value to your life? There's been a lot of discourse, including today, a Wall Street Journal piece questioning the smart home value prop. And I think that's actually a fair comment. We have to do a better job as folks in the industry to show consumers that this technology makes their life better. And, and not only add, we don't want to add a bunch of time to people's day so they can be a CTO. It's really about some of these activities that you do shouldn't take a lot of time. You want to watch media. You, in your case, Michael, you have children. You want to be able to go see them at school or social media. So it's all about taking this sort of home management, home maintenance, and really putting it to the background and allowing folks to focus on the type of activities they want to do. And I want to, I want to stay on this Internet of Things yeah. broad theme for a little bit because I think it's a good conversation for people sure. to try to understand how the industry kind of divides the world. And I think that really what I'm seeing lately is people are starting to kind of divide the world into a consumer space and more industrial and, and kind of enterprise. So, and I know that you're involved with the Internet of Things Consortium, yeah. which tends to, from what I'm seeing, lean a little bit more towards the consumer space. So can you kind of describe your worldview and is that kind of how you've seen things aligning out there? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So it's an exciting opportunity. And I was on a panel recently at Stanford. What we said about the Internet of Things is it, it's a blanket term that folks have used that help them to put together all their disparate business lines together. So let me put that in context. If you're GE and you have uh, aircraft engines and wind turbines and healthcare devices, what's the one thing that, that cross-cuts all those different segments? It's the fact that they're connected. So they have this industrial internet um, you know, part of their business. Cisco that has routers and switches and software for service providers and smart cities. They've got Internet of Everything as a way to sort of tie together the different pieces. So I think in terms of a, of a marketing or branding concept, that's why folks have really glommed on the Internet of Things. In terms of the categories, yeah, we see a, a very different set of requirements for consumer IoT versus enterprise IoT. So you mentioned the Internet of Things Consortium. I sit on the board of directors of that with Jason Johnson, who's the founder of August SmartLock as well as Mark Spates from Brightroll, that, that's all about consumer awareness and sort of market development. It's really around trying to shine a light on the right companies and the right approaches to enabling this opportunity. So, for example, we'll get together thought leaders from places like Logitech and Panasonic and others and sort of talk through you know, what devices make sense for consumers and how this will look and are there connections we can make between a really smart silicon company like an electric amp and, and a potential company. On the enterprise side, which is sort of out of the scope of Internet of Things Consortium, it's really about two main things. First is improving the uptime of devices that are out there in, in the sort of ecosystem. So think about if you're managing smart meters, you really want to make sure that the smart grid or the smart meter is, is high uptime. Second part is it's very expensive to support these devices remotely. So what we've seen on the enterprise side is how can you have the right type of connectivity software to make sure these devices can be supported out in the field? And if there is an issue, 
you get information ahead of, a, you know, what we call like a mission critical event where there's a total meltdown of a device out in the field. Maybe it's something that can happen before beforehand. I just want to kind of crystallize a little bit in the mind of the, the listeners what exactly GreenWave does. So I know that you guys are in kind of early, uh, you have a lot of service writer customers and some customers out there, out there we can't necessarily name names. Um, there have been some uh, kind of <laughs> sluice out there, like Dave's ass. If you go to Zats, not funny. Yeah, and and uh, <laughs> and you put and you put yeah, Greenway. Yeah. If you put Greenway in there, you'll see some potential customers of Greenway. But can you talk a little bit about who your customers are and what you do for them, so it kind of gets specific and help listeners understand what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, one of the things, uh, one of the benefits of being a B two B company like us is we can support many customers. In some cases, those customers are direct competitors. So we work with a variety of utilities. Sometimes they compete. Um, it's it's public. I can confirm that both DirecTV and Verizon are customers. I can't go into any more detail on that. But in that case, because we're B2B, we can actually empower a lot of different folks. But one of the downsides is we can only talk about things that are public, and it's up to them to disclose it. So high level to your question, what we really have are two main components. First is we have a software platform. I know platform is an overused term. So we have a software infrastructure that allows these devices that are connected to the network, speaking in a variety of languages, Zigbee, Wi-Fi, Z-Wave, Insteon, et cetera, to be connected. So that's the first part, get them connected. And from there, turn them into uh, managed services applications. Second part is, that's the platform. Second part is really on the application. So Nobody buys a platform. I think Steve Jobs was one of the first people to say that. They buy an application. So on top of our platform, we have applications that are widely available and out shipping in energy management, connected lighting, which won 2013 Best of CS, and home automation. And so what GreenWave does is stand behind some of these brands. So some of the names that I can disclose, we work with Eon, which is the largest utility in Europe. We work with TCP. Um, for the connected lighting kit, which sells at Home Depot, it was rated one of the the best um, and easiest to use connected lighting solution out there. Actually, rated higher um, than Nest in terms of value, and rated higher than Philips Hue in terms of ease of use. And then we work with Directv, and and obviously Zats had reported about something that was on FCC regarding Verizon. All right, so I think we got a good understanding of what you guys do uh, to a certain extent. I encourage everyone to go. And you're at GreenWave Systems now. You guys were GreenWave Reality, but if you go to GreenWaveSystems.com. Yeah, it's GreenWaveSystems.com. Check it um, out. I encourage everyone to do that. But I want to I kind of talk shop a little with you talk a little bit about the news because, like I said, it was like if you if you went camping this weekend, left Friday, <laughs> and came back Monday, it's like the whole world changed this morning, kind of. I mean, really. Uh, Google, it was rumored, right? Google was going to uh, buy Dropcan. That's been rumored for a while, but they actually did it on Friday, and it was released late on a Friday. Actually, I thought it was interesting. So what yeah. are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, well, first of all, I think it's a real exciting time. When you're, when you're seeing these types of companies that have built real businesses, so when you look at Dropcam, Greg actually built a real business that had a, a good product with a great consumer experience, with customers, I believe 39 to 40% of their customers were activating the month, you know, the sort of yearly store of the video. So they built a real business. And I think it's exciting to show that a company like that um, can go out there, raise some venture capital, great, create a great product, and then actually be part of something larger. I think there is a couple things that have happened from my viewpoint over the last couple of years 
that really predated this recent M&A activity. So let me back up. For but a before second. we get into that, just real quick, yeah. you know, I, I've been buying network cameras and had <laughs> network cameras shipped me for a decade. I remember old D Link ones, and they're all uniformly terrible. Circom eighty twenty one. Yeah, uniformly just bad, right? And you know, Dropcam came along, and in, I think it's two thousand nine. It, it which in, is a lifetime ago. It seems like in the connected devices, uh, and shipped a pretty great product. Um, and then they they were innovative and forward thinking with the with the putting Bluetooth in there, and they basically made it a true home awareness security solution. So, um, there, like you said, I I think what's interesting is the point solution guys that are best of breed are kind of getting snapped snapped up, and Dropcam is the best of breed in that in that space. It makes makes a lot of sense to me. You know, my view of the market is you can go and really enable the ecosystem and be an enablement platform like Greenwave is. That takes real pedigree and networking, understanding the different players from wireless carriers to retailers. And then we're seeing real innovation like Nest and Dropcam is great uh, industrial designers, great user experience out of the box and really smart apps where they say, hey, we don't want to compete on every use case. We want to nail one or two use cases. So with Nest, they said, we want to be the thermostat that provides this smart energy experience. And for Dropcam, what they said is, let us have the best, easiest to use, easiest to set up IP camera. And I believe that's one of the issues that they were addressing with consumers. My experience has been that consumer apathy on connected home has been because there hasn't been a clear enough value proposition for them to buy in. You just really can't offer them something that says, hey, here's another 20, 30 minutes you're going to spend each day turning lights on and off and connecting stuff through a mobile app. Right, it's right. really on a point-to-point -point basis. And yeah, so, and I think when you go super narrow and show yeah. great value within a very narrow use case like a drop, drop cam versus the confusion of here's this holistic whole home system that does lots of things and people start to fall asleep halfway through my sentence, right? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We, we, our view from Greenwave is you have to kind of think both ways. And so as this market has really consolidated around these consumer endpoint products, that's actually helped our case even more because think about it. If you're a CTO or a CIO of some of these big businesses, whether it's a Home Depot or whether it's a service provider or it's even a security company like ADT, you have to think about the network. You have to think about all the devices that are in your sort of service line and how those devices come onto the network and how they're managed. And so one of the fundamental you know, negatives to connected home for so many years has been the cost, Right reliability, cost, and value prop. Those have been the three main areas where we needed innovation. So from the cost perspective, we've started to see volumes and, and the chip companies come involved. So the cost has come down. The reliability has definitely come down, right? If you've ever messed with X10 like I have, you know, early it's a home. Pain. It's, yeah, it's, it, and, and <laughs> it's maybe, one, maybe nine out of 10 times it works. And that 10th time, you don't know what happens. So it's become a lot more reliable. It's kind of like where 3D printing is now. Like X10 yeah. is like 3D printing now, right? 3D printing or VR, right? On the virtual reality yeah, side. Yeah. Seeing, you know, on VR, there's a lot of interest, but it's still pretty early. So in those two cases, it's been that. But the other part has been the value proposition. And so what I see from our perspective is these devices, Michael, that you're talking about, they, they end up showing up on the network. And now there are these interesting discussions that say, hey, if I, and, and this is totally hypothetical, if I'm a security provider and I'm out there in all these households and I know there's a drop cam there, is there something I can get from that relationship from a B2B situation from drop cam that allows me to deliver a better service at a better price? And so what we're starting to see, 
I say this quite often, is we're moving from a two-party ecosystem. So Michael Wolf goes um, and, and buys a Xfinity home security kit. You basically buy that kit and you pay for it. Xfinity subsidized it. They have a certain amount. And over time, they make money back and maybe they get profitable. I think we're going to move from that to a three-party system where it's a, it's a consumer. It's a quote-unquote service provider who's the, the, the brand providing that service. And then there are going to be these third-party actors that say, I want to be able to offer this device into that consumer household, and I'm willing to either reduce the cost to the end user, I'm willing to give them a free camera or a free thermostat. I think that effectively is one of the reasons yeah, yeah, yeah. I would see this go faster. And I think this kind of leads us to our next story, which I want to talk about, is yeah. Quirky, uh, which is – we can explain what Quirky is. And they're spin out of Wink and partnering with Home Depot. And we've all kind of been in the connected home space waiting with bated breath to see what Home Depot does. You being deep in the, in the, in the space probably knew um, that they were making decisions. I knew that they were talking to people. But I think it's really interesting that Home Depot, which I would, you know, is probably the biggest uh, home improvement store in the U.S. at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was kind of a bell of the ball, really. People wanted to be their platform. Quirky got that, and Quirky, for people who don't know, uh, is basically an incubator around connected devices, and they yep. they crowdsource their ideas, and then they roll stuff yeah. out. They've worked with GE, and they're basically saying, "Hey, we're about one out of three connected products we do is smart home centric. So we're going to actually create the wink platform and spin it out as a company. And, and, and home Depot is going to be our one of our, our big partners and we're going to be their primary smart home hub. That's a lot of stuff to kind of, but I wanted to set the story up. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. so what do you think of that? Well, first of all, I, I know Ben Kaufman personally, who's the CEO of Corky. He's an exceptional entrepreneur and he's, he's really an innovator. So I think what Corky has done is, is lowered the bar for folks who want to innovate, you know, a lot of times the barrier between having an idea for a company and being here in Silicon Valley or being in Boston and the 95-128 corridor is you don't know who to talk to. So what they've established is this product and this platform so people can submit ideas that they vote on in a committee standpoint and then turn them into real products, air conditioners and things like that. So I think the model fundamentally works relative to the the quirky Wink, Home Depot. I can't comment specifically. I don't know all the specifics. I think that's indicative of when we see these major brands. So whether it's a service provider or hardware home improvement store like Home Depot or an insurance company like State Farm, all all those folks are going to need to have a set of partners that are going to enable them to take advantage of this market opportunity. And so what we'll end up seeing is We've gone through this period, Michael, probably over the past two, three years, a lot of trialing, a lot of, hey, I'm not sure how this is going to work. Let me put the product on the shelf. Let me put it online. Let me get some information. I think folks kind of feel like they know at least some of the interest areas. And so that's where we're starting to see some real definitive. I mean, if you make an acquisition at the size of Nest, $3.2 billion, you clearly have a strategy beyond selling the thermostat. And that's the same with this uh, Home Depot wink announcement is, you know, I think that's indicative without knowing too much inside information. I think that's indicative of there's a strategy about having these devices connected through the retail point of sale. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, you talked about the kind of the three parties. I think retailers are in a really interesting position now. And and since it's so early in the market, even though we've been talking about this idea of home automation being a 30, 40-year market – we're kind of at this 
early inflection point in smart home, and I think retailers and channel people in the channel see an opportunity to to do some land grabbing, yeah. and I think you know you saw it with Staples, yeah, you, you saw it with Lowe's and their Iris, and you're seeing it with Home Depot. I still am a little bit curious as to whether or not long term um, a, a retailer can be kind of that all-in-one service provider, but I do think, I think they can make so much sense because they're going to be pushing so much connected products through their, through their stores. Why not try? I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, one thing I would say as just a note about the industry is I think a lot of folks are involved now, and by default, we're all for-profit companies. I think folks are trying to get their disproportionate share so it's not only about, hey, I'm a retailer, I'm enabling X. It's I'm enabling X plus I get a revenue stream plus, plus, plus. And so I think that activity is perfectly natural because of you know the system that we're in, but probably not the end state. And so what we'll end up seeing is over time, this will start gravitating to the providers that offer the most value. So, for example, when we think about how cell phones get activated, there's a process that people have sort of normalized around how they get that innovation same thing with computers right here. We, we go out to the store, we buy a, a, a Mac, you know, a MacBook Air, we, you know, we plug it in, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's actually started to happen. Two things I would bring up since we're having kind of a free-flowing discussion is I noticed as an industry player after uh, Four Home was bought by Motorola and I became part of that executive team, I noticed a definitive change in the talent pool that was focused on smart home and connected devices so in 2008, 2009, raising money for Four Home and looking at the quality of candidates, we didn't see a lot of investor interest, obviously, in the sector. And we didn't see the best candidates, the 10x engineer, the 10x business development person. We're definitely seeing that now. I, I'm here in San Francisco, and I can tell you when I see some of the best and brightest engineers from Facebook and Google and LinkedIn, they really want to do something physical you know, they're in the maker movement or they want to do something that's actually going to mean something. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of folks flock to it. Second part has been, if you just look year over year, there's been an influx of capital into Internet of Things. I think folks are starting to feel the opportunity. My biggest, uh, you know, word of caution here is when I look back at what happened with clean tech investing in 2008, 2009, there was a real flood of investment dollars that came in in a short period of time, and it wasn't metered across the years. And so it funded some companies that were great and some companies that flopped. If the investment pattern was a little more consistent over a three, four-year period, you would have saw probably more companies come out of that with a better story. And so my, my, my worry is when I get pitched these ideas as an angel investor, I see connected nightlights, toothbrushes, yeah. door locks, et cetera. At some point, you have to ask the question is, you know, you can have connected everything. If a consumer, Joe Bag of Donuts, doesn't care about it, won't buy it, there's going to be a lot of companies that are struggling. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're right. You have to watch out for that. I do think some of the differences I would observe is with at least around the kind of the smart meters and all the kind of clean tech, it was, it, a lot of it was so political and tied to yes. some of the initiatives around the Obama administration. And when that money goes away, um, and, and <laughs> there's people who are purposefully against that. This, with smart home, I think generally it's a, it's a fairly neutral topic, and yeah. I think it's a little more diversified across different s segments. Uh, but I definitely think there's always a chance for a bubble. <laughs> and yeah, could, yeah, and, and look, the right way to do that is, you know, we have to constantly be aware of who the end user is. 
So I look at sort of two end user groups in my role at GreenWave. First end user is the consumer who, through our channel partners, the TCPs or the direct TVs, et cetera, end up getting a product. And so what are they thinking and how are they experiencing this? We're definitely seeing some trends. One of the biggest trends that we talk about at GreenWave is a lot of folks have focused only on smart home in terms of lights and thermostats and cameras. But the biggest part of smart home is really around media. You know, folks care a lot about watching yep. the game or, or doing social media and Twitter or, or talking on the phone. So I think to the extent that we can actually allow those to talk to each other and be informed, I think that's really important. The other side is on the enterprise. So think about this. I mean, all this discussion of big data, it comes down to there's a customer service representative on a phone somewhere in a call center that's taking calls, whether it's a smart meter energy company, whether it's a lighting company, or whether it's you know, a retailer or a service provider, they just haven't to date had great information. They haven't had great info of what's happening in these devices or in these ecosystems. We think there are fundamentally ways to help that experience. And so, you know, for example, on the GreenWave software, we have the ability to do things called self-healing and self-diagnostics. So looking at these devices that sit on the network and saying, hey, we think there's going to be a problem because there's not enough bandwidth and there's five iPads on the home network and they're all streaming video. And meanwhile, that Philips U light bulb is actually speaking IP as well. So there's a whole set of these um, applications that need to be created for the folks to pick up the phone. And one thing I would say about data is unstructured data by itself doesn't mean anything. You have to take the data and turn it into information. The information then allows people to take some actions. And so we're really, in, to use a baseball analogy, we're probably in the first or second inning of what I think the implications are from a big data perspective. Anytime Apple does something, I think people are interested. I'm sure you have an opinion. And I have two parts to this question. I mean, A, what do you think of HomeKit? And then B, what's that Apple long game? Because I think there has to be something there. Yeah, so I think the, the, the first thing is, what are our thoughts on HomeKit? And the, the answer to that is sort of TBD. We're, we're a big fan of a lot of their products and a lot of category. We're actively getting more information into the program. And so from our perspective in terms of GreenWave, TBD, we need to understand what it means. We think ultimately um, it is good for consumers. So my implementation and my, my thought about it is it's a clear signal that you can't have 20 connected devices with all 20 different applications that you expect consumers to go see each day. And so I think HomeKit was a step towards the process of saying, hey, if you have a device and it's a smart device, there's going to be a framework that allowed developers to implement that in a larger structure that allows a consumer to get a real benefit from. So I think from that standpoint, it's exciting. Um, second part of the question, I think it takes a little bit more time to really understand how this plays out. If I step back and say, who were the people involved in Smart Home in 2009, 2010, and then I differentiate it to 2014, it's clearly much more exciting in terms of players, right? You have names like Home Depot, who you mentioned. You have folks like uh, Apple, Google. We have folks like Comcast. We have ADT. We have Eon, the largest utility in Europe. So now we're at a point where most of the largest brands have a, have a play. And so then I think it becomes what are the type of interactions that consumers are most interested about 
the other thing, Michael, you brought up earlier in our conversation, which is we get a lot of questions sometime from analysts and others, like why would Apple care about something as small and esoteric as smart home? And I think that's a really interesting question. Um, and I would say they care because they care what consumers do and they care about how consumers get into an ecosystem of products. So if you think about the refresh rate of phones, which is once every two years, two and a half years, PCs or, or Macs, which are every four years, or TVs, which are seven years, they, it's pretty well known um, how often you refresh those. But if you look at these new connected devices that are coming to the home, there are thermostats, IP cameras, lighting. Those are all coming onto the network. And potentially, this is a hypothesis, but it's a widely held hypothesis, is the ability of those devices to be in an ecosystem could affect a decision like a mobile OS. So, for example, in a Nest case, is being part of a Nest ecosystem, if it's tied to Android ultimately, does that make you more applicable to use a Chromebook or a Chromecast for TV or an Android phone? As opposed to an Apple system, if you're doing something, would it make you more likely to stay with an iOS? So I think the stakes are quite large. On the enterprise side, it's a little bit different. Um, the Internet of Things opportunity is really around tying all these devices together in a way that can be managed better at the network. And so why we're seeing Cisco and the other folks get involved is they're really trying to make sure that there is a strategy that allows their enterprise customers to take advantage of the information generated from all these devices. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. And I, it, w it is interesting to speculate. And I think, you, you know, being something – being Apple and creating HomeKit and making uh, your device work well and play well with all these devices out there, um, you talked about the refresh rate on mobile. I do think that if you if HomeKit is becomes like this de facto standard that every third party connected device uses, that's going to make people want to center their their lives in the iOS universe. I think yeah. more down the road, and and, and I also think there's a, a more kind of um, product centric vision too. They might have something here down their sleeve that they want to. <laughs> put out and also i think the iWatch is interesting but we'll we'll see that's for the next show i was going to say i'm i'm really interested in that a couple things i wrote down here just in terms of thinking what's next you know one of the things i've appreciated about your podcast is sort of focus on what may or may not happen down the road so i think two or three discussions i would say are still happening real time about internet of things and iWatch is a good case of this is what is the interplay between internet of things and media right so whether it's an iWatch or it's a wearable from Samsung or it's virtual reality, what what does this phenomenon of Internet of Things mean to the media experience? Is it more immersive? Do you have better data so you can do personalization? I think that's really important. Second thing would be around security. So I feel like we should have a very healthy dialogue around making sure that these devices are secure, making sure the data is obviously protected, and then understanding, you know, there was this joke about Nest thermostats having ads and then all that. But the truth is there is data that's captured from the devices. And I think consumers are willing in some cases to have things that are ad supported. So I watch TV that's ad supported. I don't pay for every show that I watch because it's ad supported. I think there is a discussion of is are some of these products data supported? So I'd like to have an open discussion on that. I think some of the standards bodies are doing that. And I think the last is this idea of user experience. There's been so much focus only in the past year or two about making these products truly great in terms of setup and runtime. We have to realize we're moving from this really early adopter, techie, I want to be like a hacker 
you know, into this has to work a hundred percent and, and it's not designed for those folks. And I think that would be pretty interesting. When I look at the market, I see a lot of products on Indiegogo and others that are really focused for the hacker community, which I really love. And we try to, you know, obviously enable our products for the hackers inside the enterprise, you know, those folks to be able to use it to have, you know, functionality. But I think ultimately we have to make sure that we program this for, you know, the average user that wants to get value from it as opposed to, hey, I'm going to connect all my lights and every time I get a Facebook update, my lights turn on and off. I just don't <laughs> think that's realistic. That sounds awful, by the way. I do not <laughs> want my lights to turn off, on and off when I get poked. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I just think in, my, in the case of my wife, like, you know, there's a certain point where she turns off from this home automation stuff. And so I always use the sniff test of, of her. Is this something you see of value? And so one thing that's definitely been proven is she loves the convenience of being able to see like an image of our home when she's at work. She works about 40 miles away. So that's really helpful. But yeah, some of this other stuff, like I was pitching her on the idea of, you know, when you get an email, it can turn the light on and off. I mean, that's just not something people really care about. Wives are pretty remarkably good about telling you when an idea is dumb. I've noticed that as well. So, yeah, I think uh, note to self: you and I need to spend more time outside of the office, just actually, uh, you know, figuring out what, what normal people do out of this tech uh, spin. Exactly. Hey, well, Nate, as always, it's good to talk to you. And uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm at Nate Williams at Twitter. Um, we are Greenwave Sys S Y S on on Twitter. And it's greenwavesystems.com. And so we're always happy to keep the conversation going. Um, love to talk to anybody who's interested. And, and again, look to see more from us in terms of press announcements and some of the additional customers we'll roll out later this year. All right, man. Thanks a lot for talking. Awesome. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nate Williams, hearing a little bit about Greenway, but also talking about what's going on in the space. I think I may, may do that more. May uh, tap into the deep knowledge of my guest to catch up on kind of the latest events. I think that was a fun episode and uh, let me know, let me know what you think of this episode uh, or just generally email me at the smart home show at gmail.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Michael Wolf, Michael Wolf, no E on the wolf, just like the animal. And again, if you want to find Nate Williams on Twitter, check him out at Nate Williams, check out green wave systems at greenwavesystems.com and look for the smart home show at technology.fm. And go to my website, my, my market research and consulting website, if you're interested in that type of stuff, at nextmarket.co. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Smart Home Show. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>